Hey, we recorded this episode back in May. If you've been keeping up with pro wrestling since then, you'd know that in June, a lot of things came to light about a lot of people that we didn't know about. So let me say if we put any of these guys over in this or any episode that we obviously do not condone any type of creepness, racism, homophobia, sexism, or using speakerphone in public, I don't know. We can't predict the future, we don't know what these people are doing behind closed doors, and we don't condone or support any of their actions. But if you've listened to the last 50-plus episodes of Tim Bell Pod, you know that. So, in closing, fight the patriarchy, punch a tent, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to our next episode in this series we're doing on Rushmore. I'm Nick, joined as always by Michael Loving. Hey, I'm here in a seat. And the whole camping show, the Man Scout Jake Manning. Well, one and the only, but fuck, man. How many Rushmores are we going to erect? Like, I feel like (laughs) we... uh... Like I, I know Rushmores are a big thing right now, but fuck, man, and we've made it like really niche too. So like, it's it's getting a little bit out of control. But uh, I think we're gonna have a good show today. Well, let's just hop straight into it. First off, we're talking about big men or women. Micah, you start us off. Honorable mentions. I'm just gonna go straight to it. I'm gonna say he came down from Cobb County, Georgia. He is the big boss man. Um, one of our very first, well, what episode was he? Four? Three? I don't fucking remember. Three. Doing research on him made me appreciate how good he was as a worker. He was one of my favorites as a kid because I was from Georgia, or I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was a mark, and I love wrestling, and he was a badass dude, and he was from Georgia, so I was an easy sign-up for honorable mention. Meant to write more, but yeah, I only got one for honorable mention. All right, well, I am quickly typing in Big Boss Man (laughs) in my list because I forgot. Uh, I'm going to throw out Kevin Nash, Yokozuna, Awesome Kong, Bam Bam Bigelow, at the risk of Jake quitting the podcast, Vader. And uh, I couldn't quite fit this guy on my list, and he's a very difficult one. The Big Show. Like, uh, I understand that everything, like, after 2005 kind of sucks with The Big Show, as far as how he's been booked and the almost comical constant face hill changes. But to do what he does at his size for as long as it's been is fucking legendary. Seven foot tall, bouncing between 300, 500 pounds. I mean, he has more longevity than I think any big man ever. And people forget how good he was in WCW, how agile he was. And his first two, three, four years in WWF, also pretty damn awesome. Got to give a little love to Mr. Paul White. And the Floyd Mayweather match, I think, is fucking fantastic. Well, uh, I definitely had Big Boss Man. I also had Yoko, but a couple of names that I feel like you guys forgot about. Abdul the Butcher, Stan Hansen, uh, Crusher Jerry Blackwell, Ernie Ladd, Ladd and yeah. uh, Kane. 
Kane is okay. my in, in right. Kane is my hard honorable mention. <laughs> Just because I feel like he's very versatile, he's he's done all kinds of things. He's been around a long period of time. Uh, I think he came up to the challenge whenever ever needed to be. But I has he moved the needle? Um, I think without the Undertaker, Kane is just as big as the Undertaker, if not bigger. Uh, but the fact that he came around when the Undertaker was around, it's very similar to DC Cormier, like. DC would be the man if he didn't exist in the same exact time as John Jones. It's true. It's true. So, so basically, Kane is my DC. So, <laughs> I like it, Jake. I'll start us out then because on my Rushmore, I have the big red machine. Seven foot, 300 pounds. A guy that, how has he not got hurt more? Like, he's he just shows up to work every day for years. He has the iconic run with The Undertaker and... I do, I get your point about moving the needle without The Undertaker, for sure. Because, like, when you think about all his great, great runs, it's with against The Undertaker. I also loved him tagging with X-Pac. I've brought this up before. I fucking love the little guy, big guy tag team dynamic. For someone to move like he does at his size for as long as he's done, and to be just such a good guy. You know how many times kane has jobbed you know how many times that motherfucker's shoulders have been on the mat to a smaller guy to a less famous guy he's just kane all the way man well if you don't mind me jumping in behind you because uh your solid honorable mention is the guy that i've got on my rushmore big show Okay. So, <laughs> so like it's it's almost like we switched guys here. Um, you said it best, like longevity, and I think longevity matters. And a lot of his longevity has been at the top. I, I think that's important. He's had you know reinventions of who he is. If you like the big big guy, little guy thing, I think him and Jericho was pretty fucking good. Uh, a part of some of Jericho's best work, I think the fact that. You know, the big show is significantly bigger and he's got a lot more to move in. And, you know, some of the some of the matches he had with Brock Lesnar to really kind of legitimize Brock Lesnar, I think, were important. You know, he was in the mix with Rock and Triple H at the, the peak. And I feel like he kept up with all of them for the most part. The fact that he got thrown to the fucking wolves in WCW right at the fucking top as a top guy but yeah it is fucking comical the face heel stuff but that's because they have that much respect in what he could do and his ability he's done comedy before he's been super serious he pulled off a great fucking match with Floyd Mayweather so I think just a, yeah. the ver- the versatility the longevity and just just a bigger guy I, I, I think that's what slides him in for my Rushmore also a great promo. Yeah. He can be angry, scary monster, and he can also just talk on the mic. He's good good on the yeah, mic. Yeah, he's funny on Saturday Night Live. I'll give him that. I will go to one that was on Nick's honorable mentions in our very first episode. I'm going Bam Bam Bigelow. We talked about, and we've already said longevity a bunch, and that is Bam Bam, but the diversity mixed with the longevity for Bam Bam really separates him for me. I mean, he started off was one of the biggest monsters pushed to the limits with Hogan. And then he was out of that. He's in WCW. He was doing Japan stuff where he's working that style. He went back to WWF, had the runs there with the big mainstream shit. And then he had my favorite, what I remember him most for, where he was still putting in quality, quality high star matches in ECW. The matches with Rob and with the triple threat 
all that shit, man, is where I really fell back in love with him and really kind of being surprised. Like, wait, you mean this dude that I kind of remember with the head and the Lawrence Taylor shit? He's doing this small indie stuff and he's a beast and he's killing it. And I mean, the moonsault, you can talk about all his nimble, the cartwheel, the drop kick. Just bam, bam, just impressed the shit out of me in so many different ways. He didn't just have one little stranglehold. He had a ton of them. So bam, bam, that bald tattooed, probably poisoned head from all the ink head is on my Mount Rushmore. I would like to see them carve that into a mountain. Yeah, it'd be awesome. All right, my next one, I hope, I hope I check this guy off both of your lists. <laughs> but to me, the greatest big man is The Undertaker. Oh. It is. It's all mine. Like, I, I, that's why I was like, good call on like this Rushmore and the next one we got. Cause I feel like the next, next one we're discussing is going to be a lot more debate. Where yeah. I feel like this one's going to, I think the next two we're going to agree upon. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be, cause there's definitely one more that I think we're all going to agree upon. But Taker, hands down. I thought it was the other one. I totally, yeah, I totally blanked on The Undertaker. So there you go. You blanked on The Undertaker? I did. <laughs> What the fuck? Like he <laughs> you, you did you forget that the Undertaker and Kane existed? How was that possible uh, Kane, for someone of your age? Kane for sure, but I don't I it, I think it's that stupid thing where I don't really equate him to like a big man monster. He was the supernatural weirdo, you know? I I mean, it's stupid, but my brain does stupid stuff. But he's how fucking big and therefore he's tall. the fact that he's he, tall, he's not big. Bullshit. <laughs> That is actually a point I wanted to make is that Undertaker is 6'10", 300 pounds, and can still go toe-to-toe with Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Undertaker is like how LeBron James or Kevin Durant should be power forwards, but they move like point guards, so they're not. Like, you forget how fucking big Undertaker is because he doesn't carry himself that way. Sorry, I want to jump. I guess I think a lot of my mind frame for when we did this one was big guys I was equating to monsters more. And I guess uh, okay. yeah, Undertaker still could qualify. You can yell at me. You about mean that, a dead it, guy is not a fucking monster? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for some reason, my brain just, I, you know, we do stupid things. But yeah, I, he would at least be honorable mentions for me. Okay, well, let's let let Micah talk about how the mummy from Memphis is on his fucking Rushmore, <laughs> but The Undertaker isn't, because the mummy is a monster. Dude, the Yeti, come on. If you've only seen Taker in the last five-ish, ten-ish years whittling away, you, you gotta go back. You gotta watch his entire run from the jump, from day one, everything. Promos, matches, just on the grandest stages. If you step in the ring with Mean Mark, you're gonna have a great match. End of story. So, Jake Manning, take us away. Well, since we're crossing stuff off the list as fast as possible, let's just go ahead and say the name that should be on all of our lists. He was a man that I believe had three parts of an episode. Andre the Giant. If Andre the Giant is not on your big man list, go ahead and just get the fuck out of the room. I got that one right. I got that one right. Yeah, I fucking hope so. What do you say? Andre the Giant isn't a fucking like big guy because he's more of really a giant. If we're doing a giant Rushmore, we put on there. But since he's a fucking giant, he is not. He's not technically a big man. He's a giant. So it's it's like the heavyweight and then the super heavyweight. We're doing heavyweights right now. Sorry, Andre, you're not on the big man list. 
Everest. It's like Butterbean versus, like, I don't know, Cain Velasquez. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, another guy, if you only... His work with Hogan in the late 80s was phenomenal, like, as far as promo-wise and stuff. But if you want to see a, a giant, giant human being wrestle, dive into some territory stuff, because Andre was the man. Uh, yeah, I mean... Watch Andre in the 70s versus Inoki. Holy fucking shit. You always see him lumbering around and all this stuff. But when Andre could move, when his body wasn't attacking him, he put on some of the most mind-blowing for the big guy spots I've ever fucking seen. Inoki was one of the best big man wrestlers ever. For my money, the best. And he, Andre just, damn. Watching those matches blew me away. He's like, you mean the, the Hogan guy the the monster could actually flip around and do all these tilt-a-whirl and all this shit it's yeah see andre at his prime for the love of god me and jake are sitting at three micah you give us your third all right we are gonna go to the man that i probably connected with the most on research the man who was just a force of fucking nature not just in the wrestling world but as a human being i'm going with old bruiser fucking brody he was a territory running in, destroying, whirlwind, true freak of fucking nature, and as a character human being, just something special. The promos, everything about the man was intimidating, scary as shit. Jake mentioned Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah was a big part of making Brody one of the big guys, monsters that he was. Man, Bruiser Brody, one of my favorites of all time now, thanks to this podcast. Same, agree. That's actually he's on my he's my last one on my list. Move the needle, wherever he <laughs> went was box office, and you could make an argument he might have created independent wrestling a little bit. You could make that argument there was all these territories and he didn't want to work with these guys, and they're like, well, let's run an independent show and we'll just do a little spot show with Bruiser Brody, and we're gonna run once a month, and Bruiser would work for them. And of course, he was uh, a top draw in the states, top draw in Japan, Puerto Rico. Everywhere he went, everywhere he wanted to go, he he did it and did it with the best. And they could still go 60 minutes with Flair. Could be a squash match for this guy. Just a brawl with Abdullah in St. Louis. Whatever. It, it made no difference whatsoever. Yeah, Brody's going to wrap up my list too. Innovator yeah. of indie wrestling. Innovator of hardcore wrestling. I can't say anything more than you guys did. Just an icon for his generation, and it's a damn shame he didn't get a little bit longer with us. But, yeah, Bruiser Brody, definitely on my rush more. And since we're getting into him, I just got to put it over. Brody versus Inoki, the hour draw, might be my favorite thing that I've discovered while doing research for this podcast. Please try to find that match. It's fucking incredible. Can't say enough. This, this may be the shortest uh, debate we've done on this series so far. So, uh, Micah, you tell us what fucking jobber you put over The Undertaker. Yeah, please tell me how Bastion Booger qualifies as <laughs> a big man, and by default you have to put him in. I mean, I don't even need to say it now because I'm so giddy because it's so like <laughs> appropriate for what the fucking moment is right here. Jake, do you want to announce it for me? Is it Bastion Booger? Is it Mike No, Shaw? no, no, no. It's worse. Oh. Oh, gosh, who would be? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, this is easy. You got, you, you, hashtag. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> you are lucky we are quarantined right now and in separate houses. Because normally Mike is over at my house and Nick is coming in live from Hollywood, California. Safety. And Safety. 
we at one, when we started these episodes, you were like these Rushmore episodes. You were across from me. Now I see yeah. why this is so late in the game. Good fucking call, <laughs> Micah. Good fucking call. All right, so I'll just finish the words because everybody, if they're on Patreon, they know what the fuck the rest of the hashtag is. But hashtag love Vader. Oh, oh wow. God. Oh, really don't. Uh, Vader is a piece of shit. I will give Jake that. But goddamn, not even on the honorable mentions. As a wrestler, the beast that he was in WCW, one of the most intimidating heels, like building up of a monster, the way he can fucking work. Yeah, he's a little stiff at times, and maybe he broke that one guy's back, and he was a piece of shit for that. But the matches he would have with Flair, and the matches he would have in Japan with Masawa and Kabashi, and even his short WWF run, which he kind of shit the bed on that, I thought he still had some good stuff in there. And just the true, the the visual, the mask, the Stan Hansen match with his eye getting popped out, even though Hansen won that one, that's Vader pushing his eyeball back in, just... The the belief that that was a true badass motherfucker, because he probably had some mental and emotional issues that made him be a badass motherfucker, just made you believe that those forearms and him killing Cactus Jack and smashing his skull on the concrete floor on WCW Saturday night, not some big, huge show to show off or anything. He almost killed Cactus Jack on like a podunk 250 population show. It just, I mean, Vader always, as a kid... It was that feeling of just like, that's that motherfucker they let out the crazy house. Oh, he, he hurt people. Good. That's the reason he's on your list. He was not <laughs> nice to people. I know Jake said he was a piece of shit, but let me talk to you why I love him as a wrestler. He is a horrible fucking human being, but you know what? He scared the shit out of me. And for big guys, fear is a quality that I think matters. And I would not want to be around him because he scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Hashtag fuck love Vader. I'm done. Wow, this is this is Bash at the Beach '96 territory. <laughs> you just fucking turned Stone Cold Hill. By the way, we also killed him with mentioning him on the podcast. So that is that. true. So there we go. Mm. All right. So now, what I want you guys to do, I want you to completely forget about gimmicks, about merch sales, about booking decisions, promos. Forget about all that, and let's talk about the greatest all-time in-ring performers. Jake, you start us with honorable mentions. Oh, I have so many honorable mentions. I moved this. I I moved this list around. This is the one that I probably debated over the most. And there's like a couple of people. I'm like, uh, they wouldn't be on my Rushmore, but they definitely need to be honorable mention because I I let's I gotta I gotta bring them up and they're important. Um, specifically like. Like Eddie Guerrero was actually in the Rushmore, but I took him out because of something. And I'll get to why and it makes sense and why he's there. But Eddie Guerrero was listed in my honorable mentions along with Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair, obviously. Uh, Kenny Omega is in there. I think Kenny is incredible and, and covers everything today. Also, Luthez extremely important in the ring. And also, he, Luthez was a guy that went to Mexico, Japan taught somebody what wrestling is made them a star left and that person basically like ricky Dozen started japanese wrestling and then he went to mexico and wrestled guys like sento and whoever else and they became a stars and then lucha libre became a big deal and that would do that across the fucking world just in ring basically just launched industries in different countries 
Also, to my last honorable mention is Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, there was actually a moment in time yeah. where he was in there, but uh, I, I've got my reasons, and I'll, and, and I'll get to that. But those are my honorable mentions. This is the hardest list. Like Even goats. I, I filled out goats. Ten seconds. Uh, like Mike wow. Workers was a difficult one, but every other, I mean, I, I was working on this this morning. I've been working on this for like months, and I still, I don't know. Every person I leave off is more painful than the next. And let me start by saying, I know 75% of Japanese wrestlers should be up here. I know, I get it. Okay. Uh, honorable mention, I would go Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, whatever you want to call him. Kenny Omega, Mr. Perfect, Jericho, Eddie, Dynamite, Tiger, Harley, Terry Funk, Undertaker. I'm going to throw Charlotte motherfucking Flair in there. Macho Man, Ed. God, it was so brutal to take him off. Oh my God, it was so brutal. Bret Hart, honorable mention only. <laughs> And I'll throw you a weird one, maybe. On my honorable mention, I almost put him on my Rushmore. Triple H. Once he became the game, Triple H, (laughs) he has been nothing but incredible. Like, WrestleManias, Hell in a Cell, comedy spots, brutality, intensity. He doesn't get enough credit for carrying the company when Austin was hurt. I know he spent a lot of time throwing dirt on people with his magic shovel, but if you can forget (laughs) the last three seconds of all those matches... He's just, he's so smooth and crisp and real. He's so real in the ring. And I don't think he takes enough chances in the ring. Like, he has kind of a safer style, and that's why I can't quite put him on my Rushmore or ahead of a lot of these other guys. But, man, name a bad Triple H match. I fucking dare you. Name one. Triple Go H versus to- the Ultimate Warrior. Okay. Uh, <laughs> name, name a bad one from, like, 99 up. All right. Like, he is, he's just a great professional wrestler. He's, he's one of the best all time. Can't quite slide him on there, though. I got uh, I got Dean Malenko, my honorable mention. I got two of the Hart brothers. I got Brett and Owen. Dynamite Kid. Liger's got to be fucking up there. I got Zack Sabre up there because just the shit that I've seen him do in the ring just always made my mind implode. And then getting back into wrestling hardcore and watching a bunch of his shit, just the in-ring technical, this is a move, this is a submission, why do these things work out in the way that they do? I got Mike Quackenbush as my top honorable mention because that motherfucker would do things in the ring that just just fucking blew me away. And Jake, have you ever worked Quackenbush? Nope. Matter of fact, uh, he doesn't like me. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, is that why you're not in Shakara? Oh, uh, the reason I'm not in Chikara is because, you know Lady Tapa? No, I don't. It's Barbarian's niece. She had a short run on Impact. They've opened a lot of doors for her, and she's just been like, yeah, I'm not interested. But we helped train her, and then after we got her good enough to wrestle on matches, we're like, hey, we want to give you your first match. She's like, okay, well, that's $150, even though it's like, hey, that's not how this works. Um, She's like, well, if you want it, you got to pay me $150. That so, makes me sad. This is a sad podcast now. But I had one of her first matches, which she didn't get collect $150 for, I don't think. But I had one of her first matches. She videotaped it, put it on YouTube. And then when Grizzly Redwood was trying to talk me into Chikara, that was one of the matches. Quackenbush had already seen that match with her. And he goes, yeah, I saw a match with him wrestle this Lady Tapa guy. He wasn't good. So uh, he basically made a judgment on who I was based, based upon... Yeah. A match I had with somebody who's having their first wrestling match. 
Jesus Christ, because just thinking Chikara plus you is like the ultimate... It's fucking gold! <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's two beautiful things making out. Also, too, because I won't sign over... He only wants people that he owns the character of, so that way he Seriously? can make money off Fuck. of it. Yep. yep. He's like mini Vince? He's mini Vince. That's why he's working with Vince. He had a working agreement with them. He, he made all those guys... He required all those people to move up to Pennsylvania. People that were making, like... 20 30 bucks on his show he was requiring them to move to pennsylvania so if they wanted to film promos on a wednesday he could this is ruining my day oh you <laughs> want me to i i can ruin it so much more and i probably shouldn't be talking on a live microphone a lot of these fucking details <laughs> but fuck it so Do it. i could go i could go on and on and on about mike quackenbush not not being a good person, not liking me, uh, not giving me the time of day, consider me less than, all those things. Well, I take it back, and now AJ Styles is my top honorable mention. Yeah, oh, you, you want to get into that? Fuck it, we can go on about that, too. <laughs> the man the man called me fucking stupid. Styles or Quick and Bush? Yeah, AJ Styles. Uh... Fuck you, you stupid. Wait, well, I mean, uh, calling you stupid from a flat earther, you know, that's like a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> because he found one of those Takahami, like those little pet things or whatever, or so, it was something like that. And uh, the we digital still, pets you had to keep alive? But it, was, it wasn't quite something like, it looked like that, but it was more of a video game thing. And he was, we went downstairs to film this interview with him. And I'll never forget, like, he was digging through his kids' toys and he, and he pulled something out and then he held it up. Like, I just walked in because I was carrying all this video equipment and he, and he fucking held it up. He goes, You know what this is? And I go, No. And then he goes, Fuck you, you stupid. <laughs> I, if what I didn't have a video that? camera in my, because here's the thing because of me having a reading disability, being called stupid is like the worst thing you can like it's triggers it, it, yeah. it triggers and like i immediately fucking ramped up and if i didn't have equipment in my hands i would have fucking lost my shit i would have oh punched him God. in his fucking basement <laughs> so fucking mad nick you're up number one are you sure it wasn't more like you stupid we're best friends now man scout it wasn't no he's like, like that. fuck you you're stupid uh and then, and then another time I was taping down the mats at a Hermie Sadler show and he stepped over top of me like I didn't fucking exist. You're up, Nick. <laughs> so tell me about how AJ Styles is in your Mount Rushmore, uh, Nicholas Alexander. Because if he is, you have to lead with him now. So, Okay, my newfound conflicting feelings aside. <laughs> AJ Styles was the best. Yep, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> AJ Styles was the best wrestler in the world for about a decade. All right. He is he is innovative. He delivers in high profile matches. He's mean to my friends, apparently. <laughs> but high flyer, Matt Wrestler, whatever you want. He is he he thrived in WWE's shitty restricted match setting. Like, I don't know. Luckily he's murdered by The Undertaker, so uh we don't have to deal with him anymore, Jake. Hey, you know what? Vader never called Jake stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he treated my friends like sh shit, and he sexually harassed my girlfriend twice. So I was trying to make a joke, and you had to make it all. 
Listen, we are at the end of a fucking seven-hour podcast run. I, I started this fucking day very fucking happy, and normally this is where I start a fucking podcast run, and we only get about four hours. So be fucking grateful that we're now an hour fucking seven of fucking content, quote unquote, because I love that fucking word. You're getting what you're fucking getting from the Man Scout right now. All right, give them give your first one to Jake. Come on, Jake, blow us away. Well, you guys had him on all of your honorable mentions, but I think he deserves it. We're talking like straight up in-ring performers. Everything else aside, everything else aside, Dynamite Kid. He is the man that launched a thousand ships. He is the man that inspired the likes of Eddie, Dean. Those guys don't exist. They don't inspire the generation, my generation and the previous and even the next generation. And then all the guys that are around now, it all stems from Dynamite Kid and the things that he did. This indie style of doing a million fucking spots and high spots and getting after it, work rate, all that shit. It fucking stems from the fucking Dynamite Kid. You could put him versus Tiger Mask on Monday Night Raw tomorrow. And that shit still holds up. And that shit is from 1980 fucking two. <laughs> 82. You fucking show a match from what? Fucking 40 years ago? That you, you point one match from 40 fucking years ago. That holds up every fucking second. Every second of it holds up. Like, don't get me wrong. Flair did some amazing stuff, but the <laughs> uh, the length of it, you put that on a raw, newer audiences aren't going to, aren't going to get onto the, the, the 20 minutes. Like it's going to be great. It's, but there's like, it is, it is what it is. But for a match from 40 fucking years ago, I mean, I, I would like to see like a, like a 13 minute flare match. Be put on TV and see if every second of it holds up. It, you probably could make that argument. You could probably find a couple of those. But the Dynamite Kid ones that are about 13, 12 minutes, especially the five-minute one they did at Madison Square Garden for WWF in, like, 82, when the pr- fucking following match was, like, Pedro Morales versus Cowboy Bob Orton. There's no way the fucking people saw anything like that for years. And, like I said, the man who launched a 1,000 careers and ships just he's got a lot of issues outside the ring as i've documented many times as we've discussed on the podcast but when it comes to in ring ain't nobody better all right i don't know if i've said this throughout this but uh mr canadian redacted man i haven't put on any of my list because he would probably fucking be on three or four but well uh, dynamite kids there for dynamite kids there for the block so if you true. want it's true. you know it's true. like if you want like if we're talking about longevity like we did in big men just put dynamite kid and it fucking solves it all right um uh, so i'm gonna start off with somebody i mentioned before so i can get the first stuff later but uh fucking manami toyota the main reason she blew me away was her in-ring work man she puts in 45 minute matches where she's going in the first minute the same she's going in the 44th and a half minute. The way that she would just bounce around, but then also work stiff as shit. The submission moves, the creativity she would have with shit, the emotion. The in-ring talent to know that you have to connect with that crowd and how to grip them and grab them and pull them in ways 
to make them give a fuck about what you're doing in there. She was so good at just she knew when to scream at times. Sometimes it was simple as that. Manami knew when to just make the moment matter so much. And when the moment came up, it was mind blowing spots that would hold up today. It is true. Like 40 years ago, I can't think of another match 40 years ago that would hold up. But 30 years ago, you could play Manami Toyota matches now and they would blow people the fuck away. I, I'm still trying to watch all her matches because I'm a mark out my ass for her. But just if you haven't seen her, just see the stuff she does, how fluid she does it. And the fearlessness that she had in there is also key. When you get somebody in that ring that knows how good they are, they can try all this creative weird shit. It, it elevates everything because you know they might bust out something new and totally revolutionary that you'd never seen before. And that excitement, that unpredictability that she brought to that just always made me excited to deep dive or to read something like, oh, you got to see this Toyota match, blah, 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 93. And it's just, she just... Every time in that ring. Fucking amazing. And Chris Hero agrees with me, so that makes me happy. All right, I'm done. All right, I'm going to keep going, getting heat from Jake route. <laughs> and I'm going to put on my Rushmore, the nature boy, woo, Ric Flair. I mentioned AJ Styles, like best wrestler in the world for several years. That was Ric Flair just back then. I bumped him between honorable mentions and my actual list back and forth a few times because I think it's a fair point. It, his matches are a little dated, and maybe uh, I think to some to speak on something Bruno San Martino said one time, maybe a little mechanical and scripted, and I'm gonna hit these marks every match. But fuck, man, Flair could go for hours. He could go with any wrestler. He he came to your territory. And made your guy look good while making himself look good. He was just, it's crazy to not think he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. It's Ric Flair, amazing champion, amazing wrestler, and just, I don't know. It's Ric Flair. Well, it's funny. I, I teetered on that as well. But I feel like the next three people that I put on Rushmore, my last three, are in defense of Ric Flair being on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Flair will be mentioned in each one of these guys. And, and I think that these guys did an aspect of something that Flair did. These guys did it better than Flair. If you put the other three horsemen and not Ric Flair, that would be <laughs> <like> epic trolling. <laughs> yeah, and Sid Justice is one of the horsemen. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would like to put Arn Anderson, but I, I, I have to admit that Ric Flair is better than Arn. It's, it's, it is 1A, 1B, though. But what you just talked about, a guy making guys, going to every town, territorial, NWA, champion. For me, it's the greatest wrestler <laughs> in God's green earth. Because I told that motherfucker that I, Harley Race, is coming to your town. Yeah, fucking Harley Race. Could brawl, could fucking street fight, kick fucking ass. Big fucking deal in Japan. Nobody's going to mess with the motherfucker in any territory. I said in the fucking Owen episode we recorded earlier, if he wanted to walk into a fucking arena, a WWF arena, even when he was the NWA champ, he could fucking do it and did. 
nobody questioned how fucking tough, how much of a brawler, but also too, he could get a guy over in a territory. He would travel from town to town. And then also too, you can keep in mind fairly early in his career, people referred to him as a spot monkey. Because he was taking so many fucking high spots and bumping around so fucking much. The, the same thing that you said about Flair, like, ah, some of those matches are a little bit slower or whatever. Yeah, it's the same too. But like, and, and Harley is right there with Flair. And Flair don't exist without Harley Race. So it, that's as simple as that. And I always said with Rushmore's, eras are important. And I think Harley basically covers all of the 70s and the early 80s for me as far as like in ring aside from robes and wooing and catchphrases and all of that (laughs) shit fucking in ring harley fucking race all day every fucking day i super agree i almost put them on my list barely squeaked them off and put them in my honorable mentions i know your list is about making me mad i understand it's okay it's all right i'm fine I I I thoroughly anticipate you putting Vader in uh, for the next pick. So <laughs> I'm anticipating it. We gotta save stuff for the goats. All right, I'm up next, right? Jake mentioned his honorable mentions, but uh, Eddie Guerrero is probably my easiest pick. Eddie just he knew how to do it all. He was over his shit as a face, and he was over his shit as a heel. He could go to the top rope, and he could fly and do crazy shit. He could mat work. He was fearless. He did those crazy ladder matches with Rob. He had the charisma. I mean, just when we're talking about in-ring talent, when you have to be a professional wrestler and you have to be your own stuntman, you have to be an actor, you have to be a comedian sometimes, you have to be a fucking Foley artist, which is the sound effects bullshit. I mean, pro wrestlers are an amazing combination of people, and Eddie could do it all, and he made you believe it, and he made you care about it. And just, goddamn, Eddie was so good. The stuff that's been replicated tons of times before, but the old chair shots, then him throwing it down, and then the referee thinks he hit him with the chair. Just that brilliant heel shit, and then his Dean Malenko matches, his Black Tiger work. I mean, there's so many avenues and ways you can go and see Eddie in that ring in one match, and it could be a variety of different matches. Hardcore, mat work, uh, just trying to propel a storyline for a pay-per-view. And he made you see why he was so fucking good. I I remember hating Eddie at first. And that's when I was still kind of a stupid mark. But then I saw the brilliance in him. It's like, oh, I hate this dude the most because he's so fucking good at his job in that ring. He's in command. The looks. I mean, God, Eddie's just face is one of the most expressive, brilliant things. And the fluidity that he had in that ring. Just like of the total package of wrestlers and what you need to be good at. Eddie just... I don't, man, he fucking, he's, he destroys me. I wanted to put Eddie too. I feel like if we would have covered Eddie by this point, he would have been on my list because I kind of get wrapped up in shit, but all right. uh, My third one, Mike Quackenbush. (laughs) (laughs) You would, you would do that. Don't do it as a joke. Go for five minutes about why he's so great. That Claudio Castanoli match. Holy shit. (laughs) All right, I just said about how I get wrapped up in shit, and um, this is who I bumped Brett off for. And oh. if we had not just covered him, I think I would have switched the two and had Brett on my list, but fucking Owen Hart, man. I always remembered how good he was, and I always enjoy a good Owen Hart match, and anytime he pops up on like our research or something, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to watch it. Even if it's like the match before or after, I'll stop and watch Owen, but 
really diving into his stuff, especially like I feel like his prime was like early nineties. Just yep. just like that match he did with fucking Rip Rogers. He was just so good. The stuff he did in Japan, like the Hiroshi Hase match was so good. I mean, obviously his work with Brett, his work with Davey. You plug him in to any time period in wrestling against any opponent, whether they be a monster, whether they be AEW, Ring of Honor guy, a $5 wrestling guy, PWG, New Japan. Owen Hart is getting a good match in that night, no matter what. Like He was so versatile and just so exciting to watch, so fucking clever and crisp. He was just flawless. Like I said, I said this in my final thoughts. He was like Mr. Perfect's wrestling ability with like heavy lucha in Japan influence. And to me, that's the perfect wrestler. I think my Rushmore list is pretty fluid. You ask me a week from now, I'll give you four different guys. But man, I think Owen Hart deserves to be remembered as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Now I'm thinking like if Jake had Owen and he rebooks Spot by spot, the Owen Brett feud, but it's Owen and Jeff Hart. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, Owen would have loved five dollar wrestling, considering <laughs> he always had like those weird people that he would hang out with on the road. Yeah, like, he, yeah, he, he would. Like, he stay would stay at fans' houses and shit. Yeah, he would. He would have stayed at like Raider Rock's house and thought it was entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, so you mentioned about Eddie being on your list, Mike. Uh, I had Eddie on my list until I was completely embarrassed when I realized (laughs) that I did not put on my list beautiful Bobby Eaton. Oh, God, yeah. We would have been mad at you if you would have missed that one. And I I am ashamed of myself that I even thought... (laughs) for a second that I, I had a list that is anywhere near complete without Bobby Eaton on it. And like I said, eras are important. Harley Race is bringing up that 70s. I mean, you get the 60s. It's like, I don't know if there's enough guys to warrant a discussion there. So Harley gets the 70s and the early 80s. But during that time that you would say, oh, Ric Flair's the best wrestler in the world. No, I think Bobby Eaton was because Bobby Eaton could get in there and wrestle with Bill Watts and bounce around for him like a pinball. He could get in there with Ricky Morton and do all the run spots in the fucking world. And then like later years, him and his singles runs like you just a fucking TV television match with Terry Taylor. Like he's doing like knee drops from the, the ring ring pole down onto the fucking ramp in WCW. Like he's an unbelievable high flyer unbelievable heel uh just incredible fucking wrestler seamless smooth like in ring technical just it doesn't get any fucking better than bobby eaton and basically that whole era that flair is the man and everybody's like oh no he's the best wrestler in the world no fucking bobby eaton fucking tearing it the fuck up that entire time not repetitive doing something different doing something unique every single night and here's an even further reason why i don't have flair on my rush more when there was a hall of heroes at the nwa fan fest convention one year steve kern was on the microphone because they were inducting the the fabulous one jackie fargo into the hall of fame he was just rattling off guys that should be acknowledged during the ceremony and uh steve kerns list all these guys and then he goes but bob eaton greatest professional wrestler of all time (laughs) to which incited 
a standing ovation. Damn. Whoa. Full of room full of wrestlers, and the first person to stand up for said standing ovation, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. <laughs> Damn. When the Nature Boy Ric Flair is the first to his feet for a standing ovation for the phrase, Bobby Eaton is the greatest professional wrestler of all time, I don't fucking need to know anything fucking more than that. Mount Rushmore in the ring, greatest of all time. Yeah, Rick basically put Eaton on your Mount Rushmore over him by himself. He did it. You didn't do it. <laughs> I'm going to a man that made me... The main dude that made me fall back in love with wrestling when I got back into it about 2006, 2007 is a tape trading goof, uh, fucking Brian Danielson, man. Learning and reading about Danielson and then seeing that I was about five years behind on Ring of Honor shows and that joy and that fucking excitement of buying old Ring of Honor DVDs on eBay. And here's, you got to see this, uh, was it Danielson and Christopher Daniels? And uh, Loki, one of the first shows, Era of Honor, just that blew me away. And just all, his Paul London match, fuck, that thing was a work of art. And but just the Kenta match at uh, I think it's Glory by Honor night two in like 2006, 2007. It just he did all this shit that just I'd never seen. Which I'm a total mark for just give me something memorable, do something inventive, but then just. Combined with the selling, and you could tell Brian himself was a tape trading nerd because he put all the emotion into it. He did that stuff that made you mark out at the right moment. I mean, I, I, I miss, I deeply miss him screaming at the ref, I have till five. Yeah. Like, that is, that is one of the best in-ring kind of character additions to the rules that he doesn't do anymore and it just shit like that when you can come up with that stuff it always elevates you as an in-ring talent to me because you're you're attacking the art form from every single little facet and you're trying to put something special into every little cardinal direction and just danielson did that man and he would take the big bumps he would do the bloody matches he would do the six he would do the broadways with colt cabana and then he would win with a small package just to fuck with people. I mean, he, he understood comedy. Like, he understood all of it. And I just, I fucking loved that dude. And he made me remember why I sat alone in a room and watched tapes over and over. And just Danielson, fuck, man. When he got big in WWE, Punk was cool to see. Punk was really cool to see. But when Danielson had his run, it was... It was it was surreal. It's to to see something acknowledged that you never thought a mainstream thing would acknowledge, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't care about that shit. But you're happy it's acknowledged on such a big level because you know tons of people who never knew who the fuck he was now know his name, and sometimes that's all you want to happen for the people that you love in certain art forms. So Danielson just made me fucking love this stupid art form again. So Danielson in ring talent. Every way he can do it, he's uh, he's brilliant. Amen. All right, my last one is Kurt Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> can I screenshot Jake right now in the frame that I have? Like, Jake, just hold that. I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> All right, I got it. That was gorgeous. <laughs> when did we start doing Rushmore's for Thieves? Because... <laughs> I can think of, well, I mean, obviously he's 
the Andre the Giant of Thieves. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we have a tag team that could be slid into that. So I almost have a, a, a Mount Rushmore of Thieves that I can put together. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> I, have, uh, I think I've trolled Jake Manning enough on this episode. <laughs> some intentionally, some unintentionally. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip my last guy and let... <laughs> And let and let Jake Manning give us his last guy because wow. I know that we have the same last guy and I want oh. Jake to be able to have his explanation. Oh. Oh. That was a twist. That's a twist ending, Nicholas. <laughs> that well is a well twist because you you took off somebody off the Rushmore, but kept on none other than <laughs> HB. K. Sean Michaels. I that's that's the thing that I love the most. You have tormented me this whole time, but now to know that you took Bret Hart <laughs> off your Rushmore, but didn't think for a second to take Sean Michaels off, makes me so happy. And to come back to the whole reason why Flair is not on it, because like I said, Bobby Eaton was the greatest professional wrestler when Flair was the greatest professional wrestler in the world. And then once we get into that next era, as Bobby started to slow down a little bit, that's when Sean was kicking it in high gear and he was becoming the best wrestler in the world. All those things that you, you would put Ric Flair on th this Rushmore for the excitement, the high spots, the moving, all those, all those things, all those reasons why you put Ric Flair on here. Shawn Michael checks all of those boxes in the ring. He's incredible seeing him wrestle against someone like a and then you look back at some of the matches he had very early in his career, the matches he had with the undertaker, the big guys, small guys, little guys, new guys, young guys, just incredible. I, I would even say, Two or three years after he retired, he could have come in and had some killer matches. Uh, he may still be able to have some really good fucking matches now, but, uh, um, you know, he, working with who he's working with. But he is incredible, hands down, in ring, one of the best. And as far as eras go, I think probably up until maybe a, maybe a few years ago, I could, I could say he, he covers that era. So we would have to, we would have to etch another person on Rushmore if we had to make any more people to cover this era. So, but yeah, just the fucking best. hundred percent agree. I mean, everything I said about everyone so far on this list is Shawn Michaels. I, I think Shawn's the greatest of all time. I mean, just no matter the stakes, good match. It didn't matter. Bit of a cunt, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, holy shit, man. If you want to talk about send this guy out and have a match for my life, I mean, Shawn Michaels also smart enough to get out of the business without withering away before our eyes and ruining his legacy. All I remember of Shawn Michaels is amazing in-ring performances, whether it was on Raw, whether it was at a WrestleMania, at a, the fucking double finish Royal Rumble. I mean, so many things. Hell in the Cells. Every big moment that wrestling has had Shawn Michaels was right there somewhere in the mix it sucks. He got hurt so much in the, you know, later nineties, but I mean, DX, he was part of DX heartbreak kid. Shawn Michaels is uh, gun to my head. Probably the goat. Here's my tag. He trained Brian Danielson. So yeah. So there you go. <laughs> there's, there's that. My last one, uh, my in-ring talent Rushmore is going to be another tape trade and Mark shit. But, um, 
I'm putting Kenta Kobashi up there. This was one right up there with Eddie. There's not many people who can create emotion in a match like Kenta can. He knew how to pull people in. Being a big movie whore, just the acting, the way he could suck people to the moment and make them give a fuck and then hit these moves flawlessly or just him and Masawa going at each other full bore for 45 minutes. He knew how to tell a story. He knew how to do that King's Road shit where it was a bunch of big brutal shit. It was big bumps, but he knew how to craft it. He knew how to tell a fucking story. He was a writer. Just like all pro wrestling, all pro wrestlers are writers. Jake's a fucking writer, man. You're in there telling a story. And Kobashi, man, he could tell a fucking story. And you worried for him based on the heights that they went. His fearlessness was another quality, man. He just, that was part of him where you just worried for him in a way. And he made me care so much when he was getting beaten down and you see him defeated and his face covered in fucking sweat. And he knew when he had his shine how to bring his fucking face up and just like, and he was so fucking fired up to hit that one big lariat or that fucking last moonsault or something. And it just, it goosebumps all over my fucking body. Even when he was past his prime and he was still fucking great when he had a five-star match with Samoa Joe and Ring of Honor. And it's, it's, it's a lot of chops. There's big spots, but he just, he knows how to tell that story in the ring. He knows what the audience knows about him, and he knows how to craft a fucking narrative that makes people's goosebumps have fucking goosebumps. And it was just getting those VHS tapes and hearing about this dude, kind of like my novel, Toyota, and just watching it. I think the Dr. Death Steve Williams versus Kobashi was the first one I ever watched. And it was another, it was, it, it felt like something different. It wasn't pro wrestling. I'd seen fucking Tank Abbott and UFC stuff, but it was this different thing where you're like, what, what is this, man? And he really elevated that stuff to a level that I just didn't know existed. It wasn't like, hey, what's up there? It was like, oh, there's something that was in the clouds that I didn't even know had a stage. And Kobashi just, he, just everything about him makes me feel pro wrestling. All right, so that is big men and in-ring performers. Holy shit, we still have announcers and tag teams, comedy wrestlers and managers, and probably th- this one sounds the most fun to me, the uh, the greatest of all time, and hardcore wrestlers. That's going to be uh, – I can't wait to talk about hardcore wrestlers. We're, and I'm sure we can come up with other stuff too. Yeah, yeah, in the future. Uh, I think we're, we're, we'll finish this up exclusively on Patreon, so head over there, patreon.com slash 10bellpod. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Man Scout, Jake Manning. Thank you very much for listening to 10 Bell Pod. I can't thank you guys enough for being subscribers and people who leave reviews, but also too, big, big thank you to people who are our patrons on Patreon. Now, some of you may be hearing that like, wait a minute, I'm not a a patron on a Patreon for you guys. And you might be like, hey, I want to do that. I want it. And I want an extra thank you. I left a review. I subscribe. But I want an extra thank you from the Man Scout Jake Manning because that third thank you doesn't apply to you unless you are a patron on our Patreon page. Make sure you check it out at patreon.com slash 10 bell pod.